morning, everybody. The, uh, I was telling the gang, if I, like wherever I go in the world, if I could take 30 minutes of each day for the year, it would be the, the family huddle in here from 9.30 to 10. Is that not like the joy when you come in and they're dancing? Anybody feel that way? It's just, it's amazing. So um, I'm just trying to figure out how to get my kids and grandkids to come over in the morning, start some music, and just kind of just make it happen. Yeah, would be great. Well, listen, um, Really excited about today's, uh, today's message. And before I do that, uh, I, I will show you a picture of my grandkids. Uh, that's my gang uh, so far. Uh, by the way, my mom uh, died in September. She was just short of 97. And I'll, I'll show you a picture of that later in the week. But um, I was uh, all 84 of my mom's great grandchildren were at the funeral and her six great-great-grandchildren. So uh, my wife and I are actually the low producers in our family, but we do have six of the 84. So, uh, But anyway, that was um, they, they love Gull Lake more than any place on planet Earth. Your kids probably feel that way too. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, I think I love that because my wife and I, Paul, I don't know where she did. she slip off? Where'd she go? Oh, there you are. Um, we had years of infertility. We were told we'd never be able to have children. Then we ended up having four kids, which felt like a miracle. And, uh, and I, I give you a lot of credit because she was sick for all nine months for all four pregnancies. And uh, she's still, you know, but, but I was a big help. So uh, <laughs> do you believe that? <laughs> no. Terrible. So, but anyway, we have four awesome kids, and um, but it kind of sets the stage for this section of the scripture I want to look at with you and Mark, which is, uh, I'm calling it, uh, last week was Jesus is coming, coming small. This is Jesus of the if only. It's interesting that right as he begins his public ministry, one of the things that he really steps into address with people is this dream of of everybody's got if-onlys. And what I mean by an if-only, it's the things you have and I have in my life and in our lives that we feel like are never going to come to fruition. Anybody with me? Like you have children who are wayward or grandchildren. You have friends and family that are far from Christ. You have people that you love, or even in your own life, maybe you've been struggling with an addiction that has haunted you for like your whole life. And there's this point where you think, my prayers and my hopes are never going to come true. And like you're caught in this dungeon of hopelessness. And this is one of the things that Jesus in his public ministry, as he comes into people's lives, he dresses almost immediately. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Okay, so you with me? And I told Tim... He's going second. I told him I was going to crush it and just set an impossible bar for him as he comes to talk about Ethnos 360. So game on. I'm not in full blue, but I'm in partial blue. So let's get it on, man. So let's pray, and then let's, let's take a look at this, this section of Scripture. Lord, I think actually um, every one of us 
is carrying if onlys this morning. And I just want us to feel like you're carrying these with us. The things that feel like they'll never come true. Concerns, relationships. Lord, somehow speak into us this morning about how you come and respond in our if-onlys. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we are. We're in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Uh, you know, I'm not hitting every single section because I'm just kind of hitting the ones that I feel like the Holy Spirit has led me to, to be most appropriate uh, to you. But the first one I want you to think about, and I'm just going to say it because I, I think it's true, is that Jesus hears your hopes. Jesus hears the things that you're hoping about. You're wondering, is anybody like me? Do you feel like, are you hearing me? God, are you there? So uh, most of you have no idea who I am, but I, I will tell you one story. When, we, when, when a group of us, uh, Paul and I and some of our closest friends, started Kensington in 1990, it exploded. It was, it was just one of those things. It, just, it was incredible. But there was a caveat in the explosion. And the caveat was I had horrible chronic back pain. I had hurt my back playing for Wheaton College, which, you're, which whenever I say Wheaton College, you say football powerhouse of the Midwest, okay? I played for Wheaton College. <laughs> it's just so fun to hear, isn't it? Because it's just so stupid. But, uh, and you know, it's like I could have been hurt playing for Ohio State or Michigan, but of course I didn't, you know, I wasn't good enough to do that. So I ended up having to get a chronic lifelong injury playing for Wheaton College, which is kind of humiliating. Uh, it's like, it was so funny because like after the game, if I had a good game, I'd go back to all my friends, you know, in the cafeteria, like, man, did you see the Oh, no, we, we were in the library. Man, people wouldn't even show up for the games. It's very discouraging. But I hurt my back and it was really bad. And so in the first seven years of Kensington, I spent almost three years in bed. And for weeks and months at a time, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even get out of bed to pee. And I felt like my life had been stolen away. Because I, man, I grew up all my life playing sports and loving life, hunting and fishing and golf. And every day was literally, I'd wake up and I'd go, man, I wonder if I'll be able to, wonder if I'll be able to drive to work. I wonder if I'll be able to... And, and, and here's the worst thing. There were probably 20 times where I had two other guys teaching with me, probably, not 20, probably 50 times where I had to cancel my turn in the rotation, which didn't hurt us because both the guys were better speakers than me. And so it's really irritating when you're on your back in bed, somebody calls you up and goes, oh, you won't believe the service today. Dave, Dave Wilson gave, like, that's the greatest message I've ever heard. I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging up now, you know, and and I remember one time some of the guys were teasing. They were like, Steve, if you could just stay injured a little longer, we could be like the fastest growing church in America, you know. No, come on. They were kidding. But you, you understand. So I felt like I would never be whole again. And it was one of those if-onlys. God, will you, will you speak into that? Maybe later in the week if you want, I'll, I can talk to you about some of my journey on coming out of that, which has really been incredible. Like I'm not super flexible, but I just – I just chased Barbary Sheep and Val Raybuck up in the, in the Stormberg Mountains of South Africa for two weeks. So, uh, although my knees are pretty sore from that. But I'm saying, like, I went from 
like a, like an invalid to living a normal life. And and in that journey, I, I was thinking how during that time, my biggest question was, God, are you hearing me? Do you care? And so, he, so here's the scripture. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. That's always, that's always a big sign, isn't it? If you're on your knees, some of us in our marriages, in our relationships have been on our knees. We're, we've like... We had hard times in our marriage where I, I, I don't ever remember getting on my knees, but on my heart, I was pleading with you not, not to give up on me. And we had, that's another thing we can, we can talk about if you're interested. And it's interesting, I think the NIV, actually, I'm not sure why it puts this. I think it's an incorrect uh, translation. It says, Jesus was indignant. I think it's actually, uh, I'll share with you in a bit what I really think the word means. But I do think there was probably... In, just frustration as Jesus sees the brokenness of the world. And so he reaches out his hand and touches the man. And he says, I am willing. So do you, do you, see, the, do you see the response? He, the, he says, are you willing? He says, I am willing. And he says, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sent him away at once with a strong warning. And again, remember, if you look in all the Gospels, Jesus at times, in the early period, is like warning, don't tell people. And I don't really know the answer for that, except that I think he wanted the freedom to travel and move with people. Because once the, it's interesting, talk about building a brand. I think, I think Jesus was trying to extend the time where he could literally walk in and go, I want to know about your life, Right? But pretty soon, it's like famous people in, in America, you know, imagine like Taylor Swift or, or um, you know, Stephen Curry or other, other, other people that they literally reach this point where they can't move and they can't engage. And I remember uh, Dave Wilson, who started, was one of the guys that we started Kinsey together with. He was a chaplain of the Detroit Lions and he was chaplain for over 30 years and he is the most losingest chaplain in the history of the NFL. <laughs> he lost 315 games. And, um, and it was, which we all, we all loved. We, when, he, when he finally got removed, we thought we were going to win the Super Bowl, but still hasn't happened. Um, but as we were um, moving uh, together, Dave with the Lions, we found out there was this syndrome. Is it the Lions football players are so overwhelmed living in the city of Detroit and you're an NFL football player is that as you would meet a Lions player, it was very difficult for them to give you eye contact because they're just trying to get to, they're just trying to get to their family. They're trying to get out of the building. They're trying to get somewhere. And so they're always kind of looking at your shoulder or looking over the top of your head because they can't be with you. And the thing that I want you to know is that's not Jesus. Jesus is always seeing and boring in. That's the smallness about him that I love. And so he says, are you willing? And he's on this personal encounter. He's like, I am. He says, but don't tell anybody. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer sacrifices that will allow him to worship again and be in public again. But it says instead, he went out and began to talk freely. I mean, of course that's what you're going to do. And he started spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. 
yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So we know, because you guys know, all, all of you know the story probably as well as I do, is that the crowds are not, the crowds are not going to go away. But there's a couple of, of scripture, of, of Greek words, I want you to think about today, and I, I want you to feel them with me, okay? The first one is this, are you willing, this, this word which is uh, uh, to wish or desire. Thelo is the Greek word, thela, to wish or desire. And this is the part I want you to remember. And, as you, and if some of you are thinking about this in these scriptures, you might want to, want to take a picture and just think about this. But he's, I think when the leper is coming to him, he's going, are you willing to do this? Would you respond to my desire? And I think Jesus is saying, I'm going to find pleasure in this. Like, I'm going to, like, you are living with leprosy. You are living in an if only that's never going to get answered. And man, when I say this, I feel this. I, I have a cousin, Kirby, that I've been praying for for over 50 years. And he is a hardcore atheist, bitter. And, and Kirby, if like in the miracle of the world you listen to this talk, which I'd say the chance of like .0001, Kirby knows how much I love him and what a, what a sweet friend he's been to me all my life. But man, his heart is just hard. You got this. So that's an if only. Uh, my grandkids, some of my grandkids have developmental stuff. And sometimes when I look at the long journey, it's hard to see a good outcome. You know, it's like it's hard to feel like there's a good outcome coming. But Jesus is saying, no, no way. I am part of the if only. And I find pleasure in responding. It gets better. And so he reaches out and touches him. Uh, and he, because he's asking, he, he's asking, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I, yes, I will, and I want to make you clean. This word is uh, katharizo. It means, again, there's always these, these double entendres in Jesus' life and his encounters, but it's to purify physically and spiritually. It's like you're going to be clean all over. This is what Jesus does. And then, it, I love this, Jesus' response it says, when he saw this, it, the word indignant, I'm not sure why, why that ended up. Um, I know some of the guys that actually translated the NIV, some of them were at we, Wheaton College. Thank you. Uh, uh, my uh, Greek professor, Jerry Hawthorne, I know he did Philippians in the NIV, and uh, he's gone on to his heavenly reward, but I wonder where this is. But the word is, a lot of you know this word because it's one of those fun words. You, I guarantee you, you've taught this in your church. Splanknizomai. It's one of the great... <laughs> no, really, that's a word. I'm not, I'm not pretending. And it means to be moved in one's bowels. Moved with compassion. And the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. Well, actually, I, I would actually disagree with that. I would say they are the, they are the center of what we feel. Because whenever you're really nervous, whenever you're incredibly anxious, where does it hit you? It doesn't hit you here. Well, let's don't be crass, but this is where it hits. Jesus is moved to his bowels. And he's moved with compassion. And I love that. I mean, how much do you have to see another person in another person's condition to be moved this deeply? Like I remember, um, 
I remember the feeling when the doctor called us. We, we had seen our second specialist. We were youth directors at Ward Church in Livonia, Michigan. And we were heading out the door to go to a baby shower for a 16-year-old girl in our youth group who had an unwanted pregnancy but was keeping the baby. And we were like year four of infertility. We're walking out the door, and we get a call from the infertility specialist at Vanderbilt University. And he goes, I'm just telling you, uh, I've looked at it. Uh, you guys need to get on with your life. You're not going to be able to have children. And then we go, and we, and we look at each other. <laughs> oh, man, you still feel this moment. And we're like, okay, well, we got to go get in the car right now and go to a baby shower for a 16-year-old girl in our youth group. I'm just telling you, those are the if-only moments where you feel like your life, you know, like, and all of you know these feelings over and over again with people in your life and, and in your own story. And so Jesus is feeling, and, and again, I remember feeling that it was a splanknizomai feeling, and what you find is that Jesus feels this for people. And right at the beginning of Mark's ministry, he wants you to know that Jesus feels whatever you're feeling. Like, uh, like he knows your pain, knows your concern, and he, he reaches into that. And then here's the best part. This is, this is the newest insight that I'd never seen because I'd never really looked, looked at it carefully in the Greek. It says that he reached out and touched him. But here's, here's the incredible, look at this, this next one. This is the Greek word, hoptu. This is what I always thought. I always thought Jesus, when he was doing this, is like he reached out and he's like, yeah, I, I touched you. Look at the screen again. To fasten to, to adhere to, to set on fire, to stick to. It's like when Jesus, again, remember as a Jew, ceremonially, what's going to happen if he touches a leper? He's unclean for like a long period of time. Plus, everybody was very worried about the susceptibility, you know, of, of con contracting leprosy from another person. When Jesus touches him, I always thought he's like, oh, oh yeah, I want you to be clean. No, it's like, it's like he grabs him. You wanted this this morning, didn't you? He's like, and he's like, I am, I am locked to you like glue. Like if you're with your spouse and you're a woman, just kind of, grab him really hard on the arm like I'm not going to let go this is that's that's a brand that was a brand new insight for me it's incredible it's like Jesus is like saying I am gonna I'm taking hold of your life and I'm not going to let go doesn't that change your doesn't it even change the way you feel about this story it's like I'm with you, and it's like, not only am I with you now in this healing, I'm going to cleanse you. You're going to be cleansed physically and spiritually, but from this moment on, you are never going to forget my, gra my grasp. When Jesus touches this man, he's putting the grip on him. I remember our, our vice pr principal, uh, Mr. McDowell, who was also assistant football coach. And uh, in World War II, he had lost uh, these three middle fingers. He was the most gentle man, very loving man. But when we would be goofing around in the hallways or whatever, the greatest fear that you had 
was when the grip would come around your neck from behind because he would like prowl. He would like prowl the hallways and we were at inner city high school. It was, it was, the inmates were in charge of the asylum and everybody was afraid, man, he's going to put the grip on your neck. <laughs> I could still feel it because a couple of times I was where I shouldn't have been in school. But don't you love that where Jesus says, not only do you feel hopeless, and you're wondering if I would take delight and pleasure in, in touching your life. I delight in doing it. And now, not, not only am I going to touch you, that you, an untouchable person, hopeless person, person you can't touch with a 10-foot pole, you got to throw the pole away. Jesus says, I'm going to grasp you. I love that. I think of just so many beautiful ways we can communicate that to our children and to our friends. You know, it's interesting. I, I married a Swedish woman, Swedish background. So I, I hug my kids and kiss them on the cheek. I grew up in a, in a home where my dad kissed me on the lips every morning when he said goodbye to me and kissed me on the lips every evening when he came home. And kissed me on the lips the Saturday morning when, when I had to come back up to Detroit. And he died three days later. So there was this sense in which it's not a casual touch. I'm talking about figuring out ways that are appropriate to you, your children, your grandchildren. But it's like for me, uh, I grab my kids and I just, they're much more comfortable with cheek to cheek. But I just hold them and it's like you're making a statement, which is, I'm here all the way, like no matter what. Because this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus creates in relationships. When he touches this man who was previously untouchable, and he is willing. Again, just to remind you, again, the fellow, remember being, I'm going to put it again. Jesus is willing to wish or desire to find pleasure. He's like, I'm finding pleasure in changing your life. And then he, so he says, be clean. And I would add one more to this be clean, this catharizo, which is to be pure physically and spiritually. I would call it to be free of defilement, to be free of every taint. This is something that the leper would never have hoped for. So I want you to think about this. this is your assignment, if, if, you, if you're interested, is even as a couple or as an individual, I think it would be incredible for you to write down the if-onlys of your life. I mean, really think about them. Think about what those if-onlys would look like for you, like the ones that you just don't think are going to be answered. The Kirby if-onlys or the, or the cancer or the, and say, God, how are you going to speak into that? Okay? So that's it. Jesus, all, all under the idea of Jesus hears your hopes. The second one is this. Jesus is started, this is beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, is that Jesus gives you more than you ask for. Part of what he wants us to know is that he's going to give us more than even our if only. So you think our if only feels possible, but Jesus is going to do something more than the if only. So for us, when we walked out that door and we went to that baby shower, we, we, were, we were broken. To sh we were shattered into pieces, just like uh, we've all been. And then a few months later, we're pregnant. And I don't know how it happened. I think I'm the father. And uh, sorry, that's terrible. That's inappropriate. Uh, we ended up having four kids. 
Who's I talking to? You have eight kids. I am jealous of you. But we just, we just took too long to get going. And, um, and then I remember when Paula was pregnant, how terrified we were for the whole time, right? <laughs> we had a delivery that was an utter nightmare. That's fun to celebrate that. There were about 10 student nurses that quit nursing that day after that delivery. They were watching. And so I just want you to know, in the if-onlys, think about this. Jesus is going to answer that if-only in a way that maybe you can't see. And maybe some of those if-onlys never come to fruition like you hope. I don't know what to do with that, by the way. That's part of living in the now and not yet of life with God. But it's part of this journey. But here's what I want you to see. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, again, imagine you're sitting on the, you know, and you're looking kind of northwards on the Sea of Galilee, and it's like Capernaum is like right there. It's like all these places we're talking about are right there. In this little tiny community that Jesus is, which obviously people from all over Israel started to come because they were hearing about it, but it's all in this local place. He lived local. The people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So I don't know if I've ever had an experience where a house was so crowded you, you couldn't get anybody been to like a high school party when you were younger or where people were scattered everywhere. I remember being in, uh, in uh, Hyderabad, in Andhra Pradesh, India, during Ramadan. And uh, this was uh, 10 months before 9-11. And we were kind of being stupid, but I asked Jai Sankar, our, our global partner there, if we could walk up to the mosque. And there were literally 50,000 people sitting, at least 50, maybe 100,000 people sitting outside the mosque as the prayer was coming, much less people that were inside. And it was really, really a dumb, a dumb decision and as I was, I had my two middle daughters, they were 11 and 13 at the time, we're walking up to this mosque, um, and the prayers are getting ready to start, and there's a pathway, literally like, like this right here, that we're walking up, I'm like, that is, because the, pl- I mean, it was just jam-packed, I'm like, this is so weird, and we're walking along like this, and all of a sudden, I don't know when my daughters realized it or not, but all of a sudden, we realized that everybody in this aisle had leprosy. There were hundreds of them, hundreds and hundreds, and their, you know, their noses were missing, and their, you know, their faces were caved out. And like I'm, I've got my 11, 13 year old daughters experiencing, and we experienced some wild stuff. And I'm like, there's a pathway because nobody wants to get near them. Golly, it's crazy. When we finally got up to the the, the steps of the mosque, they started screaming uh, in a language I didn't know to Jai, to, and basically saying, "You get out of here. This is you." This is not a moment for tourists. And when I look back, it was inappropriate. We, we shouldn't have gone up there. It was disrespectful for us to be marching up at that moment. But I thought, in this moment, here were all these hopeless people sitting there. And I thought of Jesus making a statement that even in this life, I don't know what's going to happen. Is it that somehow Jesus wants to speak into our if only? So anyway, that's the only time I ever remember something being so crowded that you couldn't get near it. So men came. Verse 3, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So we don't know how many men there were, but it was a really neat community. It's like a lot of the communities that are here this week. Like the, I was talking to, there's kind of a Brazilian community 
which is pretty fun. We have a Brazilian campus inside our, we have a, a Brazilian church inside our Troy campus of just incredible, mostly GM guys that got moved up and we've had a, some of our closest, precious friends that are part of that. But uh, the, the, these friends were in community and, and, I, and I see that here where there's such beautiful community that uh, the Arizona, where's the Arizona? You, you were telling me a great story where you guys came and then you brought other friends and you got friends from the Midwest and you guys are all together here. How many of there are you that are together? Is there like, and your kids, so there's like 20 of you that you're living in community. You're the kind of guys that would have done, you're the kind of guys that would have done this story. So they're carried by four of them. And since they could not get, it to, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it which I always think the people in the house really appreciated that. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So there are a few things I want you to see in this story that are really amazing. Jesus, first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus responds to people's faith and friendship for each other. This is really a cool thing to remember. Sometimes you have a friend who's, who's in the midst of a terrible grief, and you're like, and the, have you ever been in that where you, you can't even pray? And someone else is going to pray, someone else is going to pray for you. Someone is going to step into that pain for you. In fact, I remember when Paula told her mother, her mother was the most amazing human being. She told her mother and wept with her mother about the infertility, and I remember her mom. I can't even, I don't even know, did she even have words? She just kind of, but she just, she had a confidence in God. That's what I think is, uh, I should have you come up and tell, but some of they can ask you later. But she just had this confidence in this like, listen, we're, we have the Jesus of the if only. That's how she lived her life. And so Jesus responds to their faith and friendship. And I think the men, what they're thinking is they're just thinking, if, if, only, um, if only we can get him close to Jesus, because that's the word. The word is Jesus isn't healing from a distance. He's like, hey, I got you on the back row. You got a hangnail? It's good. He's not doing that. He's coming close to people. He's touching. He's engaging people along the way. And so when he comes to this moment that is really incredible, these four men are carrying their friend, and they're saying, if only we can get him close enough to Jesus, who knows what might happen. And then it says, there's, these are the two words that I want you to think about. It says, he saw, he saw the faith of these men. This word, to see, is the word uh, harao. You can see this on the screen. To see with your eyes, but it also involves, at some level, understanding this experientially. And the slang for me is when someone goes, and you, and you really believe it's true, they go, I get it. I get it. What you're feeling about your son, I get it. Like I said, and you're, like, you're looking at me going, yeah, I think that's probably true, right? Whatever that is. It's that sense of confidence that you're seeing with a level of understanding. And what happens is you, this is a great way of, of reading the Gospels. Look where Jesus sees people. It's, it's over and over again, right? I mean, he sees them. He sees them. He's like, he's getting it. He's not just observing something. He's, he's seeing it and understanding it. And that's something that I want us to pray for. I thought, what if you and I, when we 
when we leave, if, we, if, if, if every time we saw someone, if we refrained from judgment and prayed for the inside of the Holy Spirit. So, so for example, last week, um, as I was finishing up my time in Africa, a, a dad, a, a Aaron and his son Kyle, flew in, and they had lost their luggage somewhere across the Atlantic. I don't know. So they're getting ready to go hunting, and all he had was flip-flops, shorts, and a T-shirt. And it's wintertime. It was, we had a skim of ice on the pond a couple of mornings. We were hunting in South Africa up in the mountains, and that's all he's got. He's got his son. And his son walks in. And first of all, he's 6'5", 350 pounds. And we start having this incredible conversation. And I'm looking like, man, he feels like an unlikely hunter. And then we're sitting at dinner, and he goes, hey, I want you to know, I lost 85 pounds in anticipation of this trip to try to get ready for this trip. So my first observation is what? I don't get it. I'm just seeing a big man who's too big. And all of a sudden, I get close. We're sitting at dinner. And I realize he's lost 85 pounds to get to be here with his son. And his son is skinny as a rail. And he's got purple hair down to his shoulders, parted in the middle. Beautiful, gorgeous hair. Hair's my thing. And so I look at the son. And my first thing is, I judge him. You don't get a lot of purple-haired hunters in Africa. In camo, you just don't. By the way, that, I was thinking, do the animals see that? I don't know. That's stupid. It's like Wheaton College. <laughs> okay, that's the most fun I've ever had speaking. Um, so anyway, he comes in. I start to hear his story. I don't know how he's doing. Uh, we leave. Rufus sends me a picture. This guy just ends up being an incredible guy. He ends up going on a springbok, which is a small animal, on a stalk. The first picture Rufus sends me of their hunt, he's gotten a springbok, which, by the way, is one of the best eating meats you'll ever have that's possible in the world. And they're laying in grass because it's been raining too much, and you see the springbok kind of hidden in the grass, and there's six, five, 350-pound Aaron. He's laying the other direction in the grass. That's the first picture. Like, he's just... He's just poured out every part of his guts to make this hunt and do it with his son. My point was, when I first saw him, I didn't get it. I didn't see Hara'o. Are you with me? Sometimes you see me. You may not see Hara'o, right? I see, I won't see. But when we talk and when we engage, all of a sudden there's this seeing that takes place and you realize that every person you're encountering is a miraculous Never repeated miracle of existence. So um, I WhatsApped Aaron just a couple days ago. And he goes, man, we had a great trip. He talked to me about his trip. We're friends now, you know, from a distance. He lives in Texas. And uh, and he says, Kyle was very moved by the soup kitchens. Because all the, by the way, this place where we hunt, all the meat goes to three soup kitchens, two orphanages, around Adelaide and a Christian academy that takes uh, uh, kids that have no opportunity but have the potential for higher education. So everything you, it's really a sweet deal for hunters. Everything you hunt is, and the people are just absolutely celebrating it. So he goes, he says, Kyle was so moved that when he graduates from high school next year, they've invited him to come back as a missionary. So the purple-headed boy that I judged when he walked in 
and his dad. Son's going back next year, going to be a missionary for a year there. My point is, if there's one thing we could do to bless the world, it would be to pray with the eyes of Jesus so we'd really start seeing like Jesus sees. Because you're going to judge somebody that, that is going to be like the most miraculous person you've ever met. And you're going to dismiss them because of their hair or their size or their look. But in that person is the miracle of God working along the way. I just love that. Even guys where the only shirt they have is blue. I mean, it's just, that's part of it. You just never know. Jesus sees faith, and he gets it when he sees it, and he sees that faith is action. I want to just, part of this, as we get to faith, the, 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 this is my last, my last Greek word for the morning, pistis. This is the word faith. And I would say, as I was really kind of looking at this, trying to evaluate, it's, it's conviction that leads to action. And the friends had faith, and the faith was defined by they had a character of reliability. The paralyzed man had faith in his friends. They had faith to get him to Jesus, which included ripping a roof off, going through a crowd. And Jesus' heart, again, this isn't the application in the if only. Jesus doesn't invite us to change anybody. He just invites us to bring people to him. This is, again, the other thing that you're going to see repeatedly in the Gospels. Like there are people, just keep bringing people to Jesus. Keep looking for opportunities to introduce the winsome, beautiful, loving Jesus and let people feel that. Let people feel that beauty along the way. It doesn't mean fixing them. It means seeing them. It means delighting them and, and, and seeing them as Jesus delights in them. This is, this is so true because what I'm preaching at you, I don't do. Do you do it? Like, do you look at people and judge them? Like, did you look at me and go, man, that guy's 67. He is amazing. Was that your first thought? <laughs> I can guarantee you it wasn't as you watched me kind of walking forward. No, don't, ju- don't judge me because you don't know, man. You don't know what's in my heart. And I don't know what's in your heart, but I tell you, Jesus Christ is working. And, I, and what I know is when you guys leave here, if you leave here seeing people better, wow, incredible. What could happen? So on this trip, there's, one, there's a couple that showed up on our trip. That were not, there was seven of us, and uh, including I had my great nephew with me, which is an unbelievable experience. He couldn't believe he was on this trip. He's from Memphis. And uh, there was a couple from Texas, Steve and Patrice. And they were a blast. They really loved to drink. And Patrice would get super nervous when she would hunt. So she sees in the morning, she's literally holding, she's literally in the car. You've got to see these roads. Because I hunted with them one morning. She's holding her wine glass trying to calm herself down before she hunts a blessed buck. She's, and so I'm like, man, she and her, they're crazy. They were fun. We were enjoying them. But here's what happened on the trip. About day five, she didn't go out with Steve on the hunt. She stayed back. Uh, one of the housemaids, the grandmother, her two granddaughters would, would help out around. They were like probably 12 and 10. And they, kept, they were asking me for stuff. And I got to tell you, I was really rude to them. I'm like, I'm here with my great nephew and my buddy and their sons. And we're having an incredible time. And, and like, I just didn't, I couldn't see them. 
And I walk into the bri room, which is the fireplace where, you know, everybody hangs out at the end of the night. And Patrice is in there working with them on their English. She stayed home from the hunt, and she's working with them. And then she taught them how to make a grilled cheese sandwich with the microwave. And, and, there, and so for two and a half of the days that she was supposed to be hunting with Steve, she stayed back and hanging with these girls. And the last day before we leave, she brings up a little sheet of paper. And uh, the older girls wrote her a letter. says, Dear Patrice, and she's writing it all in English. She goes, You are the best person I've ever known. You're the best person I've ever known. I wish you were my mother. And I'm just being a jerk. Not seeing these girls. And Patrice, all of a sudden, here are two girls that know they're valuable to God. Because a woman that needs to drink a little bit too much, she has the eyes of Jesus to see what I can't see. And I just want to challenge us today to be these kind of people of faith that have eyes to see in this way and that Jesus will see our faith along the way. Now, almost done. Two minutes. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that the teachers of the law, remember in verse 6, they're judging Jesus as blaspheming because Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he knows in his spirit, he says, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Here, here's what I want to say. In your if-onlys, it's really important to know that when Jesus is going to do more than your if-onlys, it always begins with the forgiveness of God, the salvation of God. Like you, you're hoping to be healed. You're hoping someone else is going to. It always begins with living an encounter with the living Christ. That's the, that's the above and beyond more answer than we could have ever dreamed to be cleansed, not only physically but spiritually, to be forgiven before we're even told up to stand and walk. Forgiveness first. Forgiven, this word, afiami, means to take away a debt, to send it away, and to keep it no longer. And I would say to any of you, if you're, if you're carrying a debt, if you're carrying a burden, you're carrying a shame or a disgrace, um, Send it away with Jesus. Send it away. One of my closest friends, and I'll finish with this. We've been friends for 32 years. He came to me uh, last year at breakfast. And I, usually when you breakfast, we're just having a blast. He comes to me and he goes, um, he goes, man, I've got to tell you something. He said, when I was 18, I got my girlfriend pregnant. I drove her to the abortion clinic. And, uh, you know, we ended up breaking up and went on. Ended up marrying my wife. We've been married for, you know, over, over 30 years. Had a great life, beautiful children. But, man, I've just been carrying this. Like, just carrying it like a you know, like a barbell around my, around my neck. And I just realized I got to let it go. And I thought, dude, you're forgiven, right? It's part of what we were talking about. Send it away. 
right? How far, come on, those of us who grew up in Sunday school, how far away does Jesus send our sins? As far as the east is from the west, right? You're forgiven. Man, be healed. Jesus, you're coming to Jesus going, Jesus, you remember Jesus goes, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. Because I removed it as far as the east is from the west. And then not only does Jesus say, be forgiven, this is the best, this is maybe the best part. He says, get up. Come on, man, we got a mission. We, get up. It's like, like for me, like for Jesus saying to me, I, I do not want to die till every Pocot has clean water. Every Pocot village has a church and a school. This is just something. I've got, I've got 10 other nations like this that I'm, that I'm involved, you know, that are important to me. I've got hundreds of millions of dollars to raise before I die, if I can. And what is Jesus saying to me? Not only are you forgiven, man, send it away. Get up. Come on, everybody, get up. Let's do this. And so, this word, agero, you're going to want to, you're going to, want to take a picture of this one. It means to rise from sleep. It means to rise from death, to awake, and then it means to stir up. Means to stir it up, isn't that cool? And then, when he says, let me see again what he says. He says, "I tell you, get up, take your mat. Take your mat means raise it up. Uh, arrow means lift up and bear it away and go home. Go do what you're supposed to do. It's like at the end of this week. I want to say for you, as you get packing up with your kids, get up, take up your mat, pack up your dirty clothes and then your kids' nasty stuff, and go home and do what? Live the life Jesus Christ has called you to live." This is what Jesus does to the if-onlys of our life. Okay, I'm passed. Lord, thank you for um, wow, just revealing yourself in such a phenomenal way that in some ways, if we'd have been God, we'd have come in some grandiose way, you just came close, and you came close to every one of us, and you're still coming close. And so, Lord, for every brother and sister in this room, as you're calling them and moving them, as they live in the frustration and the heartache of their if-onlys, Lord, we want to believe that you hear our hopes and that you answer way higher and way more than we ever even asked for. In Jesus' name, amen.